This week on the Totally Biased Media Podcast, we talk psychonauts and explore the minds of psychokinetic madmen. Jackson goes to prison? And more. Stay tuned for another mind-bending, specially fortified episode of TBM. I'm Jackson Walkup, and helicopters can go up and down. Helicopters move sideways too, but not as fast as planes. I'm Jason Simmons, and I can listen to any phone conversation that I want, but do not because of my sense of professional responsibility. I forgot mine. (laughs) (laughs) My name's Jordan Walkup, and I kill not for passion, but for money. Ladies and gentlemen, we've done a lot of time traveling here lately. We went back to 96 for Space Jam, 2011 for Legend of Zelda, 2007 and 2009, I think, for Mass Effect. But this time, we're splitting the uprights. We're going back to 2005, one of the best years in the history of video games, but only for one game. (laughs) Because I can't think of anything else that came out that year. Hey, what year? Uh, what time of 2005 did this come out? You know, somewhere in there. Yeah, I was either one or two years old when this game came out. It was April. Either way, April 19th. Weird. It was one day away from 420. Heck yeah! <laughs> R.I.P. I was one year old when this game <laughs> came out. We're talking about Psychonauts now. Normally, this is the part in the episode where we would give you our review of the game. I'm just going to come out and say it. This is one of my favorite games of all time. I'm not going to give you a score. I just like it a whole bunch. And we have a sequel on the horizon. So we thought, now's the time to dig back in to one of my favorite games ever made. Now, Jason, why don't you give us the story this time? Psychonauts is the story of a boy named Rasputin, or Raz, as everyone calls him, uh, when he sneaks into a psychic summer camp because he wants to join the Psychonauts, which is basically a team of, like, secret agents with mental powers that go around and save the world from mental threats. That's, That's really it. I mean, it's pretty simple from there. It's mostly just... Uh, he's trying to solve this giant conspiracy where people from the camp are having their brains stolen. And to do that, he has to venture into the minds of several different people, both at the camp that he's going to and at a nearby, uh, a nearby mental asylum. Now, this game was made by Double Fine Productions uh, and is from the mind of one Tim Schafer, one of probably the most important people in the video game industry, especially at the time. Um, He gave us some pretty huge uh, adventure games like uh, Grim Fandango, Full Throttle, Monkey Island. I am seeing now that you actually have these listed out, so I'm just going to read them off there instead. Uh, Brutal Legend, Broken Age. I think that's all of them. But anyways, this guy is foundational in adventure games and specifically 
funny adventure games. And I think that Psychonauts takes what's so great about that formula and pushes it into this totally unique and over-the-top 3D world that I'm just super into and that going back to it for the first time in several years, I've just been enthralled with again. Like, I thought this game was going to be a lot more dated than it is, but other than some platforming stuff, it actually holds up extremely well. Yeah, a little bit of history for the game. Um, Tim Schafer was really big at LucasArts, uh, making... He was at least involved with, like, the NES release of Maniac Mansion, Day of the Tentacle, and then I think he was a director on Full Throttle and Grim Fandango, and just a writer on the Monkey Island games. So this was, like, right after all those games came out, he left LucasArts, because a whole bunch of people that were working on adventure games kind of all left around the same time, because LucasArts was kind of moving a different direction and focusing on Star Wars. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, he left with a whole bunch of people from LucasArts to found Double Fine in 2000. And this was the project that they were working on from 2000 until 2005. Now, picture this. No new money coming in, basically. <laughs> yeah, so, so picture this. You have this incredibly prolific name in the world of video games who breaks off from this huge company to make his own company. He has this revolutionary idea. They work on it for years and years and years. And then the game finally releases, and it sells horribly (laughs) like this game was a total total economic failure from just the number of units sold standpoint critically incredibly well received but just did not sell well at all of course in the years following it's kind of become a bit of a cult classic um you know uh, people are still kind of talking about it and it's getting a sequel but when Double Fine reacquired the IP for the game from the original publisher, Majesco, and re-released it, uh, they said that they sold, in just a few hours of it being on a Humble Bundle, more copies than they sold ever before. <laughs> <laughs> Nearly 2 million g- units after their original release only sold like less than 100,000. Now, we were lucky enough to get one of those first 100,000 units, which is wild considering that just like statistically that was unlikely. Um, But, you know, this was something that came out when I was in middle school. Jason was like at the end of elementary school. Jackson was one year old. So like it was at a pretty foundational time for our gaming habits in general. And I'm not... The fact that a lot of this game being so important to me as nostalgia is not lost on me. So, Jackson, why don't you give us some of your thoughts as someone who's, like, really digging into the game for the first time now. (laughs) So, I have only played the first two hours of this game, which I'll get into more about why I barely play this game later. But I really love the world that's been created with its wackiness and totally off the wallsness and i've heard it even gets more like that from there absolutely <laughs> and the the characters themselves are all really interesting uh big fan of dugan that guy hates squirrels um, big fan don't know how to pronounce his name <laughs> it's, it's dogan. dogan oh dogan yeah, yeah. 
look, man, I have no way to back myself up on that. Um, <laughs> but, and I really love, like, the writing for all the characters. Like, almost every conversation in this game is pretty funny. I mean, there's a few times where the game is not funny. You can find these uh, vaults when you're in people's minds that sometimes have some pretty dark things in them. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it, it does but, some real heel turns in terms of tone. Like, it's a pretty lighthearted and, you know, kind of silly, I guess, game most of the time. And then it just gets into some heavy stuff, especially in the, the later half of the game. Yeah, which I, I feel is pretty different for, like, those 3D platformers of the time, which was a lot of games at the time. With Like, I don't know too much about them, but, like, the ones I do know of, uh, like, they were relatively lighthearted games. This one seems to be a good bit different from that, and I like that. It makes it a little more interesting, in my opinion. I think the the ones that stood the test of time were mostly lighthearted. When, when I think of this game, the first game that comes to mind that's kind of similar in tone and like how it plays is Voodoo Vince. Yeah. Which is also pretty dark. Um, and also even more of a cult classic than this one. <laughs> yeah, you play as like a voodoo doll, and all your powers are based around... like. Sticking a needle in yourself to hurt all the enemies around you, or something like that. Yeah. See, for me, it's kind of weird. I I make this game, in my head at least, a contemporary with two different types of games. It was the more Voodoo Vince, Blinks the Time Sweeper, like, the smaller name platformers that had some, like, weird gimmicks and stuff going with them. But then I also put it in league with games like Sly Cooper and Jack and Daxter and Ratchet and Clank, which I know were sort of kind of jumped around it in the time frame. So, like, it's it's a little bit darker and a little bit weirder, which I think is why it didn't sell super well. But for me, this is still up there as one of, like, the greats of that platformer era. Yeah, I might go so far to say, I mean, if we're talking strictly around, like, 2005, this is probably one of the best if not the best platformer that kind of came out of that area. Yeah. Because that was especially a really bad time where a lot of games were licensed. You know, you were getting like SpongeBob SquarePants games <laughs> and <laughs> Fairly Odd Parents games. And like, I played those and enjoyed them at the time, but. Battle for Bikini Bottom is still awesome. <laughs> well, Battle for Bikini Bottom is definitely an exception. Oh, yeah, to the absolutely. Rule. Absolutely. It's the one good licensed game. And even then, it's not. Good, good. I wouldn't love it if, you know, it wasn't characters from a show I watched a lot of. <laughs> but okay. Alright, so let's get into some of the nitty-gritty about what is so great with this game. Jason, kick us off with them levels. I, I think the most important part of the game is honestly its level design, because each level in the game... Uh, There's a hub area, which is the summer camp and the insane asylum that you go to. But each level that really matters is based around someone's mind. So, like, the first level you go into is one of the camp counselors' minds. And it's, you know, it's supposed to be like a basic training course, you know, to kind of uh, establish all the different psychic abilities you have and all the movement. But the guy that's running it is obsessed with the military and his time in the military (laughs) so you know there's constantly explosions you're like jumping around tanks uh it's 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 interesting and it also has this Um, like this subtle iconography around like 
his childhood that you learn about as you progress and like it's it takes some really cool mechanical concepts but then just sprinkles a ton of personality on top of it like every single item on the map is linked back to the character the layouts sort of like they're they're segmented into like different parts of the character's life or different important ideals that they have like they get into some really unique ways of showing like how their minds progress and develop and are split up and it, it's it's just unique across the board like everything about it's very personalized not only this game compared to other games but even individual levels within this game yeah, Psychonauts doesn't have just, like, a snow level or an underwater level. Every level in the game is kind of based around the mind of an individual character. And most of the characters in this game are not mentally well. <laughs> yeah. So there's, you know, there's the, there's the camp counselors that you're exploring the minds of for the first little bit. After the first guy, Oleander, you go to Sasha Nine's brain, and his brain is, you know, completely orderly. It, it's it's all just one giant cube. Like, he keeps everything in his mind kind of compressed and controlled. And then the next brain you go to is a dance party. Because... She likes dance uh, parties. <laughs> yeah, the name of the counselor is... Her name's Mia, and she just really wants to keep the party going all the time. And... It doesn't just kind of show you that their mind is a party. It also uses the environment and kind of the different things that you're doing in the levels to kind of tell you a little bit more about the character. Like, if you explore around the mind of Mia, you can find that her mind is always a party because... She used to work at an orphanage that burned down while she was away. And basically the only way that she can keep herself sane and happy is for her mind to always be a party and to keep her mind off of, you know, the terrible screaming that still haunts her in her dreams. Yeah, when you find out about the orphanage, there is a room you can go in where you're pretty much locked in a fiery cage with the ghost of the orphan surrounding it. And that is honestly one of, like... I don't know the right word they use. It's not really scary, but it's like it's yeah, it's yeah, it's the most unsettling room I have ever found in a video game. Yeah, it's really interesting to talk about because you know everything's a dance party, and then you find a door that is it's hidden for one, and there is literally a fan that's blowing you away from it, so you so it's harder to get into. And if you get in there, instead of being a party, this room is a dark room. There are some figments, uh, which are basically like collectibles that also kind of have some story relevance. Um, there's a TV and some rocking horses just sitting around. Yeah, and there's there's uh, children. And then if you jump in the toy chest, she's like, hey, don't do this. And when you get in there, it's fire all over the place. And the creatures that are outside of the cage are called nightmares. They only really appear in one other area in the game. Uh, but, like, she basically has this cage where she keeps her nightmares from interacting with the rest of her mind. And, like, when I got to that room, I wanted to, like, kind of look around and see if there's any more else to it, but, like, I just, I had to leave it because it was so unsettling, and I just found that very interesting because I've never experienced anything like that from a video game. And she's one of the sane characters, or at least yeah. 
more like, sane. Yeah, even throughout that entire experience, she's still kind of talking to you in her mind, and like she's very calm about it. Well, yeah. I think that there is a a very defined split in the game because everybody everybody has some kind of some kind of trauma or some kind of horrible experience they went through that is impacting their mind in a dangerous way. However, the first half of the game, you're mainly dealing with people who have found healthy ways or at the very least manageable ways to deal with those things. In the second half of the game, that is not the case. (laughs) This game is split down the middle where the first, well, probably not down the middle, the first like third is at the summer camp, the levels are the minds of the counselors. They're very, like, it's based around this idea of, like, you got to learn to, you know, help each other and become the best psychonaut you can be. And then the later part of the game, you are whisked away to an insane asylum where you need to go inside the mind of the people that are inside the asylum, and it gets a little weirder. (laughs) Um, you learn how to put your powers to use quick. (laughs) Exactly. And to kind of start, um, the first mine you go into after one of the counselors is a giant hulking lungfish. It's what they call it in the game. Her name is Linda. She's a lovely lady. (laughs) But when you meet her, she's being mind controlled. And when you go into her mind, you can kind of see how that mind control has affected her mind. It's pretty dark. I said mind a lot in that sense. Yeah, but, like, the mind control has kind of taken the wild parts of her, like, being... She's just a normal fish, or she was before they did experiments on her. The mind control has kind of taken that and replaced it with a giant city, where there's constantly propaganda being shouted at all the citizens, and the citizens are just... There's two groups of them. There's some people that just want to follow the law and do exactly what the, you know, the mind control is telling them to do. And then you've also got the rebels who are losing the war. So the whole time you're in her mind, you're trying to help the rebels both defeat, you know, the mind control that's controlling them and show the people that they're being controlled uh, and this is all shown to you while you are a giant monster destroying the city. Very Godzilla-esque. It's some pretty cool stuff. Like, a little dark to think about, like the implications of you being a giant monster inside of someone's mind. But it's also, like, a really interesting way of giving a perspective of what being controlled would be like. And I think, like... Most of the time, the stuff that they use, these weird and unexpected examples of what, you know, this crisis or whatever they're going through is, they all hit pretty well. And, like, they land in a way that's, like, funny and entertaining and cool to play, but, like, are actually pretty heavy. I think a big part of it is making you understand what they're going through. You know, it might not be the most accurate representation of, uh, you know, being mind-controlled. But it does kind of make it clear through both the environment and the way that the, uh, you know, the NPCs inside of the mind interact with you. And then you step out of the mind of this fish and you go on what is one of the craziest experiences I've had in a video game. Something that 
uh, I think all games should strive to achieve, and almost none have. I'm talking about the Milkman Conspiracy. The Milkman Conspiracy is incredibly interesting. Because it's the first time that you're going into the mind of someone who is truly insane. You're going... Because you go to meet... You're trying to get into the insane asylum. And when you get there, there's a guard at the door. His name is Boyd. Boyd Cooper. And he is a guard. And that's all he really knows. (laughs) Yeah. He's preventing you from getting into the asylum. And Raz needs to get in. So you go into his mind. And it turns out that... Those weird things that he kept saying while you were talking to him on the outside are because he's a paranoid schizophrenic who is in this... He thinks that there's some kind of huge conspiracy going on in his mind. And it's not just crazy in concept where you're unraveling this weird conspiracy about how this guard is actually a milkman that was just delivering stuff to an asylum, but it's also... The way you do it is so fundamentally different from other platform, adventure, action, whatever games. Like, it's just very, it's very unique. Like, there are these spies that are scattered throughout the level, and they are, like, in roped-off areas, and you have to, like, find different tools to blend in with different groups of spies, and then you have to, like... I don't know, like, you have to find sort of an order of operations where, like, oh, if I find the stop sign, I can blend in with the road crew, and then if I find the hedge trimmers hidden there, I can blend in with the the lawn care people, and if I find these flowers from the lawn care place, I can blend in with the people grieving at the cemetery. Like, it's, it's the weirdest thing, and you're just trying to piece together, like, how can I get into the next area with items found in this other area and it's just i don't know it's just really really unique and it makes you think in a different way it's a little too linear to be like a true true puzzle but it still like takes you through what boyd is going through in a really unique way like you're unraveling a conspiracy just to show like not always that deep sometimes the solution's a little simpler Yeah, and what's really interesting about the world is, generally in all the other worlds, the land makes sense. When you're in Boyd's mind, the floor is, like, constantly curving. There's no, like, real sense of gravity. There's no really... Down is wherever the floor floor is, and everything else is irrelevant. Yeah, it... (laughs) So you're jumping through this world, and if you... If you're in a certain area, you jump too high, you're going to land on the ceiling above you, or... <laughs> it's it's a wild, wild thing. It's also visually, like, has a really interesting style, because it's this... It's supposed to be, like, a normal suburb, but, like, torn apart and dropped into this very trippy setting, and it just... It's very, very cool to see. Um, it is absolutely hilarious. Like, these very shallow and fake uh conversations you can have with the spies disguised as like road crew workers or um telephone operators or whatever like just all the conversations are always just incredibly funny and they say very weird and like intentionally like awkward and uncomfortable things like it's just it's very very good it's it's one of my favorite 
like single levels from any video game ever. And then at the end, it turns out the true enemy was actually the Girl Scouts. <laughs> yeah, the, the the answer isn't the conspiracy was all a lie. It's something totally different. Like, there's just this other conspiracy. There's also something that I need to share with you because I think you missed it. Boyd is not a milkman. Oh, right. He just The milkman is not real. Yeah. It's just an implanted personality that the main bad guy put in his head. He was never a milkman. He used to be a security guard. And then he got fired for burning down the store that he worked at after... Well, he got fired, and then in response, he burned down the store that he'd worked at. And then he gets sent to a mental institution. (laughs) So he's crazy on two levels. Because when you get there, he thinks he's the guard. He's been brainwashed into thinking he's the guard. And then when you go into his mind and you kind of unravel what you think is going to be... Oh, he's not actually a guard. He's a milkman. It turns out that the milkman was his fake personality. He more or less was a guard. Raz doesn't, like, help this guy. He's just there. Which is kind of... It's kind of different than the other minds you go in. Because on some level, they're either letting you in or you're helping them. And after you go to Linda's mine and you save the lungfish, you think you're going to be helping people when you go into their mine. But Raz just breaks... Or breaks... uh. Boyd's mind because he doesn't know what he's doing. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, let's let's take a deep dive into one more level and then we'll we'll bring it on home. So, after the milkman, things kind of open up. You can go a couple of different directions. So, one of them is a level inside of a man named Edgar. Edgar is a painter in the asylum who just is sort of content to just kind of chill, paint, no other real aspirations. And he's in he's in art therapy to get over his issues. But the problem is every time he tries to paint something, he ends up scribbling it out and draw and painting a giant bull instead. <laughs> and when you go inside Edgar's mind, it is this. It's like I don't even know how to describe it. It's like this psychedelic back black light neon color version of like a street in Madrid and Yeah, it's it's based on black velvet paintings, which is like an American style. Uh like like an American Hispanic style, I believe. Where you paint bright colors on a black velvet canvas. It has this very like trippy neon art style like everything changes even like the character models are sort of like neon ish now and it's one of the more like platformer heavy levels in the game but i think it actually like has one of the best stories because you unravel a lot about edgar's life and how he has these like deep-seated just frustrations that have been with him since he was a basically a child and he's just had these petty grievances that have dictated his entire life and it manifests as some really cool fights and some really interesting perspectives about like you know it it has some interesting ideas about like how we form relationships in our formative years and how those impact our relationships later on and it's just 
it's very very cool what it does narratively but it's also just a genuinely cool level to play through yeah his is really interesting because when you meet him he tells you the story about how he was a famous painter and he was married to some beautiful woman who got seduced and stolen away from him but as you kind of explore his mind there's a giant bull that keeps running down the street and as you're trying to move up the street and get all the playing cards so he can construct a giant tower of playing cards to reach his true love in the sky, you kind of uncover that not everything's quite what it seems to be. First off, I mean, there's a whole bunch of areas that are like a high school locker room and a, a gym and a basketball court and stuff like that. You kind of learn that Edgar... He was exaggerating created a, a lot. false. <laughs> yeah. He wasn't a painter he wasn't a painter at all. He was never a famous painter. He was just some guy who feels like he had his girlfriend stolen from him, but it was just a high school relationship that didn't work out. Yeah, it was like he played up these really he played up these really minor parts of his life into these huge, you know, larger than life scenarios when in reality they were just like petty arguments between high schoolers and it it shows it in a really cool way whereas you uncover it yourself it like it feels like you're seeing something you're not supposed to but in a like way that makes sense narratively (laughs) yeah edgar is all about fixation you know and anger (laughs) he's angry because he thinks that the woman he's fixated over has left him (laughs) and been stolen away by some some bullfighter so he becomes the bull in his mind it's a really interesting world i i really enjoy it i feel like i could talk about a lot more with it that i don't necessarily want to get into i feel like people should kind of play it It's a little too granular if we keep uh if we keep going but now across the board this game's great you have these really cool levels really interesting people there are it's not perfect (laughs) there are still some issues uh it doesn't quite stick the landing (laughs) uh in my mind the last the the ending of the game mechanically is kind of repetitive it's a little bit it's a cool story decision and it's a cool aesthetic but it mechanically it has some issues and it's not quite as good as most of the levels leading up to it and there's also, in, in my mind, there is too fine of a split between everything that happens at the camp and everything that happens at the asylum. And I get what they're going for with that. It's this idea of, like, the parts of the camp is you're learning the ropes. And then everything at the asylum is you're forced into a situation where you have to, use, you have to put those skills to test very, very quickly in a way that you're not quite prepared for. And I think narratively that makes a lot of sense. But the first half of the game sets up these really cool characters at this camp, and like they give these really interesting personalities to all of the other campers, and you can do some really cool stuff to interact with the world. And then it feels like the second half of the game kind of just dis, like just kind of gets rid of the camp as a whole. Like you can go back to collect stuff, but there's not like a narrative thread tying the game back to the camp after the first like four hours, really. And then on top of that, you can't really go back and talk to most of the campers because they've been de-brained. 
Now, I will say, like, it does open up a collectible where you have to go and find their brains scattered around the overworld, which is kind of cool. And, like, there's some pretty funny conversations that come with them after. But, yeah, there's, like, this big chunk in the middle of the game where most of the NPCs are just gone. And then you don't really have a reason to go back to the areas they were anyways. But, like, aside from that... I think the other campers are really interesting, too. Um, I mean, some of them are just kind of stereotypes. Like, there's one guy that's, like, a cowboy. I love that and guy. he's involved in, like, a love triangle, I think. Kind of, sort Because his best... Yeah. yeah the, the girl he's dating is dating his best friend. And he, like, kind of likes the girl. It, it's a whole thing. But, like, it's... I just, I just think some of those... That, that whole storyline's not that interesting. Uh, there is, like, there's two characters that are presented as being, like, overly tearful to the point where it's annoying. And there's, but there's this really dark, like, weird running gag where every time you finish talking to them, they're doing something to try to kill themselves. Yeah, I have... Which is honestly really interesting because it kind of goes into, like, you know, depression, and just because people don't act depressed doesn't mean they aren't depressed and people kind of put on a mask. I feel like a whole lot of this game is supposed to be, you know, a take on just people's mental health. Well, yeah, absolutely. And it's admittedly not always done super, super tastefully. I mean, I think good for the time, but I think that we've seen such tremendous advances in how we, like, as a society, talk about mental health in the last 15 years that I think I think Psychonauts 2 is either... I think it's either going to do one of two things. I think it's either going to internalize that incredibly well and present even more deeper and more complex takes on mental health, or it could sort of shoot itself in the foot by maintaining the same stuff humor it had 15 years ago, which I do not think will sit well with a lot of people today. I don't know. I don't think there's really too much about the game that is overly offensive or anything like that. I, I think, especially for 2005, most of the stuff with mental health is kind of tackled relatively tastefully. Yeah, and I think it was it was starting a conversation that wasn't happening at all yet. So even if it sort of has some missteps, I think it was still, I think it was still years ahead of its time. I mean, its games are still. Yeah. Games are just starting to really wade into that over the last couple years. I'm very excited for the sequel. Uh, If the VR game is anything to go by, I think that they've kind of kept the same sense of humor in a lot of ways, but have evolved it. You know, there's not any, there's no lines, at least in the VR game, quite on the level of the the insanity of a manatee. Uh, what a line! But it—that line I think is really funny. But I don't think I would like. I would never laugh at that line. But I do think it's like pretty funny in context and all that for a 2005 game. Yeah. Well, it's also it's it's really not that line that is supposed to be funny. I think it's the fact that basically he says you have the insanity of a manatee, and the response is, "Yeah, people keep telling me that," and like that's a pretty good delivery on like. <laughs> Like, yeah, that's just a normal thing people say. <laughs> there's also, there's this really funny through line where a lot of the campers, 
know that... Because it turns out throughout the game that Oleander is really the main villain. Like, he's the one kind of driving everything. There's this kind of funny thing throughout the game where the campers know that Oleander is evil because he's actually been transmitting his thoughts across the intercom system the whole intro of the game. You just didn't pick up on it because you don't listen to the the intercom of the game. Yeah. It's kind of funny because when you meet Dogen, he's talking to a bunch of squirrels and he thinks that they're telling him that he's going to kill everyone. But it turns out at the end of the game that they were actually just talking about a different guy. <laughs> they were trying to warn him about a different guy. And he responded by blowing those squirrels up. <laughs> uh, what a game. Now, I mentioned earlier how I've only played the first two hours of this game. And uh, I just want to give a notice to anyone that if they decide to play this for the first time in the uh, future... Do not get discouraged by the first two hours like I have. Because, like, the first two hours have a little bit of that, you know, uh, older game design where it's like, you, you're you doing this mission, but, oh, you got to go get something so you can do this next part. And then you come back and then it's, oh, you got to go get something to do this next part. But, as I've been told by my brothers, it's really only just then. So do not let that discourage you like it has me. <laughs> it... This is a fundamentally different game in, like, the second... Well, like, from, like, a third of the way in, this is a fundamentally different game. And I do think that, like, the second and third levels are sort of low points for the game. Still good in my mind, but not as good as what's to come. And I think that that... I think... You know, I think that that will discourage some people, but it is... If you stick with it, it gets very, very good very, very fast. Yeah, I don't even like, think the intro is that bad. I I think like I think that the basic braining stuff is pretty good. I think it's a really good way to introduce the game. Oh yeah, I think the first level. I, more the the level, yeah, the Sasha level, the second level of the game is pretty boring. Yeah, that one, like the story stuff in it, like that you can find out about Sasha was interesting. The level itself, uh, not too great in my opinion. Same thing for the level with Mia, but like. Like I said, for anyone that's going to play this in the future, don't let that stuff discourage you. Because, like, the world building and the characters and writing for this game, even at that point, are really good. It's just, at that point in the game, the game design is not great. But that will go away soon after. So, just push on through it. <laughs> Regardless, it's a good game overall. And there's a sequel coming in just a couple days. Actually, it's already out by the time this episode comes out. <laughs> Uh, it's going to be free on Game Pass, so if you're even like kind of considering it, you you don't have any reason to not play the sequel. Well, the first game's also on Game Pass. So if you have Game Pass, you have no reason not to play both of these games. And why wouldn't you have Game Pass? It's the best deal in gaming. <laughs> <sighs> yep. That's a lot of Psychonauts talk, and we got plenty of headlines to get into. So... We're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be right back with all the news you've been waiting for. So one of my favorite games... What are the words you just said? I don't know what happened there. (laughs) Let's just cut that, and I'll roll again. Oh, no, 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 no. That's saying in. (laughs) Start it over. What were those words? (laughs) Uh, I said, so one of my favorite games... Oh, okay, there we go. That makes sense. Yeah. 
So one of my favorite games is The Last of Us Part 2, which I loved, but a lot of people had a problem with it, and that it did not include the multiplayer mode that was in the first game. <laughs> yeah, this is what this is what capital G gamers did not like yeah. about Last of Us. <laughs> yeah. People yeah. have been talking about it for months. No one shuts up about it. They're constantly saying the one thing I wanted in The Last of Us Part 2 was multiplayer like the first yeah. one had a lot of people have said that not as many people as complained about women being in a video game but oh i forgot women were in that game <laughs> never mind but <laughs> at one point neil Druckmann said that a standalone pvp game would be coming set for the last of us universe and that was all that was said for months but recently saying some files and stuff have been found in the game pointing at stuff for a multiplayer game and well a scrapped multiplayer uh mode and a scrapped battle royale mode they're just scrapping everything over here yeah but but for real though this is a pretty dark universe people are going through some stuff how is a battle royale gonna fit into this anyways like yeah i don't <laughs> they couldn't possibly do that tastefully in the Last of Us universe. No. See, the, the PvP mode from the first game made sense. It was called Factions, and it was pretty much two factions fighting against each other to survive, which makes a whole lot of sense for the world because it's all about surviving. I guess the Battle Royale would also make sense for that. It is about being the last one remaining, but it totally feels like the only reason that that was being made was because of Battle Royale is becoming such a huge success recently. <laughs> Could you imagine just kind of adding things to your game because it's popular at the moment? Well, Who would do that? Could you imagine? Next thing you know, you're going to go and tell me they only made these games to make money. <laughs> but, yeah, so anyways, the, uh, the assets that were found were uh, armor with a tier system, which is usually not found in, like, a normal pvp game i don't know if the original factions mode had this because i did not play it but that is usually um you know a pretty normal thing in a battle royale game so kind of interesting <laughs> kind of it's kind of interesting but you know what's really interesting wait, wait, wait i have a great transition for this one speaking of the ghost of previous video games you know what raccoon's average life expectancy is only two to three years? <laughs> which, oh, snap. <laughs> which means this new news that our boy Sly is coming back probably isn't true. Because realistically, Sly's dead. Sly's been dead since I first heard of him. <laughs> I didn't play the first game. <sighs> I only played like the fourth one. And then there were no more for years. And there still haven't been, I guess. Yeah. So there are new leaks from a relatively reputable source that Sly Cooper 5 could be on the way. Which, the Sly Cooper series is one of my absolute favorites. All four of them are excellent in all categories. I've played all four of them not, not too long ago. And like, other than the first one, they all still hold up really well. First one just mechanically has some issues, but like it's a really great series, really cool characters, really cool just story and what they are going through. Um, I like them a lot, and I really hope this is true, but I'm skeptical, <laughs> to say the least. 
there have been leaks for a while that have that have pointed towards Sly Cooper being in the works. But we finally have someone that people have actually trusted in the past <laughs> saying the same yeah, thing. Yeah, because this, this guy also leaked... Uh, he leaked the Ghost of Tsushima director's cut and Final Fantasy VII Remake being on PS Plus. I don't know what else he has leaked. But regardless, I want more Sly... And the fourth one ended in such a weird way that, like, clearly they had intentions to make another one, and it's it just ended on a, a long time. cliffhanger, didn't it? Basically, they all end on cliffhangers. They, yeah, uh, I've only played the fourth one. This one's a little bit bigger than the previous ones, though, because this time Sly has been completely separated from his team and actually the world as a whole because he's been sent back in time thousands of years. So, like, I don't really know what to expect from here. But, like, they've all had good hooks. Because, like, the first game was, you know, just establishing what it was. The second, you sort of opened up to this whole team where you had uh, Bentley and Murray that were playable now and had, like, everybody had very different roles on the team. In three, they really expand out and pick up several more members that are, like, specialize in different things to pull off this one huge heist and then the fourth one you're going back and you have Sly's ancestors as playable characters in different time periods and like they're all really well made games with really unique hooks and I really want to know where they could go with like the tech we have available today that is a game that would make good use of the dual sense also Sly 2 had Tom from Toonami in it (laughs) This is true. Uh, good old days. But you know what game isn't going to have Tom from Toonami in it? And also isn't going to have my friends playing the campaign with me at launch? Halo Infinite. <laughs> See, I'm going to be honest, I'm real disappointed about this one. <laughs> yeah, me too. I think the biggest part of Halo that like at least me and my friends really care about is the multiplayer. But the second biggest part is the co-op campaign. Absolutely. Co-op campaign. Not having it at launch is going to be barely even Halo at this point. I mean like sure, it's fundamentally do Halo. Do people play the campaign alone? I do, but that's mostly cuz I never have anyone to play it with. Jackson and I played through the campaign of Halo's 1 through 4 and Reach uh last year and like they're still just such fun games. And I think that they're taking some really cool directions with Halo Infinite's campaign. But I'm wondering if maybe the the fact that it's a little more open, that it's a little more... There's just more going on in any given scene. I could kind of see why that's why it's being put off. What does surprise me... I, I wouldn't be surprised if like they were planning on split screen and that got delayed. Because I could see that being like hardware issues. But the fact that they... We're planning on doing online co-op, and that's now gone. That's just weird to me. Honestly, I just think the game needs to be delayed again. <laughs> Releasing Halo without co-op campaign just seems dumb. Well, every time they delay a game, they have to pay a lot of money to remarket it. Mm. I think we're definitely getting... Uh, they could even delay the campaign at this point. We're definitely getting the Halo Infinite multiplayer this year, though. Like, I'm confident in that. Oh, there's also not going to be Forge mode at launch. And that's going to have six months between it and release. <laughs> it's also something I know very little about. 
I had friends that were so into the forge, like did some wild stuff with it. I, I never gave it much time. I'm not creative. See, I just like spawning all the different vehicles and driving. Oh well, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's pretty much all I did with it. Yeah. Still fun though. Well, that doesn't matter. What does matter is the robots are coming for your jobs. Elon Musk came out, and he said, "I'm gonna have a robot replace every single person that's ever worked a job." That's what he said verbatim. <laughs> he was like, "Isn't that right?" He was like, "Automation's coming, y'all. There's nothing we can do about it because I'm making it happen as quickly as possible." I do like that he showed off what the robot's gonna look like by just having a guy wear a suit <laughs> to look like one of the robots. Yeah, why not just like CGI? Why not just show me a picture? <laughs> yeah, like... it doesn't have to be real. They didn't need to show this guy dancing wearing some kind of weird skin-tight suit. Yeah. It's also... What's the hardware equivalent of vaporware? <laughs> this thing's never going to exist in the form we have seen it. Or it'll be such a specialized thing that it'll cost a bajillion dollars and there will be eight of them made. Like... <laughs> he also said it's going to be using the same AI that powers their vehicles, which is wild to me. <laughs> um... I don't know about you guys, but I don't stop at red lights. Well, now uh, and you can I, with the help. When of I do this stop robot. at red lights, I do turn left. Um, you know, without waiting for a green light. When I'm walking, of course. So now that we've got exos, when are the awoken gonna start showing up? Nobody cares about destiny, okay? I it's do, dead. which means other people dead do. game. It should be called dead stiny. Should be called density. <laughs> Should be called Jeopardy. <laughs> yeah, you got it. Man, we've had some weird uh, transitions this episode. But let's talk about Jeopardy. Because for the first time in Jeopardy's lifespan, I'm interested in Jeopardy. <laughs> so this there's been some controversy. Jeopardy. There was a point when they decided to have a bunch of guest hosts on Jeopardy, which everyone sort of decided were tryouts just to be the next host. I don't think that was ever officially said anywhere, but fans were just like, oh, these are tryouts to see who replaces Alex Trebek. So after this was said and done, Mike Richards, one of the executive producers of the show, was just like, you know who would be great for me to pick as the host of Jeopardy? Myself. And then... He had to sort of defend himself in a weird letter where he was basically like, sorry, I don't have any other choice but to pick myself because the executive producer of the show said so, who was himself. So He pulled the Dick Cheney. <laughs> he said, I'm going to find the best new host for Jeopardy. And then he said, I couldn't find anyone, so it's me. Well, naturally, based on everything about Mike Richards' history, this was short-lived. He has now stepped down as the new host of Jeopardy before it ever even started. Wait, sh shut up. Sh shut up. I, b I guess... <laughs> hey. <laughs> I guess you could say... <laughs> I, I guess you could say his career's in Jeopardy. Oh, God. God. <laughs> it took you such a long time to get to. <laughs> you, you get it? Because he worked at Jeopardy for a long time. And also he's a, and he's now, a scumbag. Now he's not. <laughs> Did he even like host any episodes before he stepped down? 
He was host for like nine days. I'm sure. Yeah, he did it during the like the what everybody is calling the tryouts. Um, it's it's a weird situation because like obviously it shouldn't have been him. Even the horrible things he has allegedly done aside, like it shouldn't have been him. <laughs> and now they're in a position where like whoever they pick next is going to be on the tail end of this weird controversy and they're coming in after one of the most famous game show hosts of all time. Okay, probably the most famous game show host of all time. Like Bob Barker. Oh, that's fair. Like they're they're setting themselves up to be disappointed. I mean, Jeopardy as a whole is setting itself up to be disappointed. And like, don't get me wrong. I, I have know. no skin in this game. I'm not game. too worried about that. I'm not going to watch it either I, way. I think the number one choice now is probably Ken Jennings. My number one choice is Aaron Rodgers. My number one. That's is a man LeVar that knows Burton. how to host a Jeopardy. Jackson, have you watched any episodes of Jeopardy in the past? Have you? I watched have not, month? but I watched a lot of Reading Rainbow when I was in school. Have you watched so I think LeVar that... Burton as the host of Jeopardy? No, because I promise your opinion would change. But I think he might. He would get better if they. Oh, chose I'm him. sure. Like over I'm time. I'm sure. But uh, but. It's tough. Aaron Rodgers is gonna. I really hope he becomes the new host. Huh. So well, he's open to it. So I have not watched a lot of Jeopardy, but I have actually read Alex Trebek's autobiography, and he was a fascinating man. The problem. The problem with this is not there's no one that can match him on the show. It's that uh, no one on this earth deserves to walk the same stage he did. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it's it's interesting because realistically anyone could host the show like schedule wise it's actually really easy for an athlete to do because they record entire seasons in like two or three weeks because they record three episodes a day four days a week for like a month and then the whole year is taken care of like it's actually like a fairly small time commitment so basically it could be anyone from any field i think it's like 32 days or something where they record? Yeah, and it knocks out, I mean, an incalculable number of episodes. Like, it's, it's wild how quick they churn these out. It's also why there were still new episodes with Alex Trebek as a host airing for several months after he passed away. Because he was recording up until, like, just a few months before he passed. Wait a moment. I'm getting breaking news. Yeah, I think we should just push it out of the way first, uh... They added Wonder Woman, who's getting her own Fortnite Cup, which is pretty much just where, like, you can play and win for a chance. Well, you play for a chance to win a match, because that's pretty unlikely. And then winning at, like, some certain place in this cup will get you the Wonder Woman skin early. And then also, they added Gamora to the shop. That's what not, that, that's not what we're here for. They added Amogus to Fortnite. Among us? You heard it here first, ladies and gentlemen, and everyone else. Amogus in Fortnite? And Amogus, the game itself, is mad about Amogus Fortnite. When the Jonesy is sus. <laughs> no, but they just completely ripped off Among Us and threw it, in, threw it in Fortnite, which I don't think we should be surprised. The entire premise of Fortnite is a ripoff. <sighs> For those that don't know, Fortnite started out as a... 
a PvE game instead of a PvP. And it was all based around fighting, like, mutants or zombies or something and building up a base. Uh, And, you know, you want to survive for for two weeks. It was fun. They had a big event at the beginning, which was cool. And you built up a base and you wanted to survive for two weeks. But then they were like, you know what's making a lot of money? Player Unknown's Battlegrounds. We should do that. And then they did. Oh, and speaking of PUBG, did you guys see that it has officially changed its name? No. To what? So it is now, it is no longer called Player Unknown's Battlegrounds. It is officially called PUBG colon Battlegrounds. So the full title of the game is now Player Unknown's Battlegrounds colon Battlegrounds. The heck. Like the official title of they the should game. have called it. They should have called it PUBG Squared, <laughs> with the the BG, the BG in in parentheses. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. We'll be getting Amogus and PUBG soon if they know what's good for them. Yeah. I just want to say though, because of the uh, Fortnite's creative mode, Among Us was already in the game. Like there was even like a week where the featured creative playlist was an Amogus mode. It's, I haven't. Yeah, but now this. it's officially in the game. It's a little yeah. different with you know community created content, but they just completely ripped it off. Like you can report dead bodies. There's like a panic room or whatever where you go to have meetings with everyone. Like there's tasks to do around the map. Huh. This is a complete and utter ripoff. I'd like to know how similar this is to the one that was featured in the community event because I want to know if it's also a ripoff of that. Well, I imagine that I imagine that Fortnite. They probably own anything you make in the Fortnite creative mode. Oh, yeah, there's probably Mm. some clause you have to accept before you can start it, where it's just like, oh, hey, and if you have any good ideas, they're our ideas now. (laughs) Well, I mean, you guys, there's a history of this. Oh, yeah, of course. Because the game Dota originally started as a Warcraft 3 game mode. But since Warcraft 3 didn't have anything saying that they owned, you know, games that you made inside of their custom game stuff... Like, they weren't able to do anything about it, and they lost out on a lot of money. (laughs) Like, I think you should own anything you make in anything. Not the assets, obviously. Like, you shouldn't just be able to sell it and make money off of it without making your own new assets. But, like, if I make something in Fortnite Creative and... Or if I make something in Minecraft, why does it matter what I made it in? Yeah. How is it any different than making it on you know pen and paper it's true that's true and i think it's also it also it asks some interesting questions about ownership of art forms versus finished art but that's way way above my pay grade instead of talking about that i want to talk about the powerpuff girls (laughs) now that is at our pay grade (laughs) yeah this is exactly our pay grade (laughs) So, as a lot of people already know, there is a live-action Powerpuff Girls on the way. Uh, We've told them they don't need it, but they're like, no, we're making it. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Hey, it's CW. Of course they're doing it. So, previously, it was announced that Chloe Bennett, uh, best known for being the star of Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., was signed on to play Blossom. The series is not even all the way through 
production of its first season, and she has already left the show. So if you were thinking, maybe they're going to pull something great off with this one, just know, probably not. <laughs> it's. I will say, I don't think that Craig McCracken's involved in this, which is kind of lame to me. Yeah. Uh because he, he, he's the original creator of Powerpuff Girls. He also created a bunch <laughs> yeah, of other cartoons, other cartoon. like Chowder. Or no, sorry, he didn't create Chowder. He created uh, Foster's Home for Imaginary Friends. He was uh, like a director on Dexter's Laboratory. He created uh, Wander Over Yonder and Kid Cosmic, which are a little bit more recent. But he, he's not involved in this at all from what I've seen. It just seems like a weird decision. I mean, it's probably intentional. He probably just didn't want to sign off on this at all, would be my guess. That's a that's a pretty common trend with studios coming in and doing live-action remakes of things. But, yeah, I mean, this was already one of those shows where I was kind of thinking, like, oh, this is this is for no one. And it it's really seems like that's the case. Because, like, I'm going to let y'all in on something. Even though I'm a boy... I actually really like the Powerpuff Girls, and it's not. I mean, the Powerpuff Girls was a, a parody I know, of. <laughs> I know that was the joke, but <laughs> parody of what? Jackson didn't know that. Of like the hyper sexist, like girls like princesses and boys like oh. monster trucks. Like, yeah, yeah. There's a reason that the show is one incredibly violent and two has like a very cutesy art style, at least for the main characters. Hmm. It was. A, I never actually watched it. It was a little before my time. Yeah, it was. It was sort of a critique of other cartoons of the time, in a way. Um, and this is probably trying to be a critique of something. <laughs> Every CW show is. But <laughs> did you see who's playing Professor U- Utonium? Though I did not. Donald Faison. It's just good casting. <laughs> so you would think. That as long as it has been, and with the public reception, that the game Cyberpunk 2077? 2077. 2077. Dang, I've already forgotten. Uh, You would think that with the reception that that game had, that there being DLC on the horizon would be a sign that maybe improvements are to come. Bad news. It's the exact opposite. Hey, there are improvements. There are some shirts. Yeah, the the long Actually there aren't shirts. There aren't There's some two shirts. Jackets, this though. is not an improvement. <laughs> so we are getting some DLC for Cyberpunk. However, it is essentially just cosmetics and won't fix any of the fundamental issues the game has. So that's fun. Uh I don't really know what they were thinking with this. I don't know this is necessarily something I would have publicized if i was i was in their position this might have just been like some patch notes somewhere the next time people turn the game on it's uh well i mean i think they wanted to be clear that they were still going through with their plan to do free dlc and i mean this is the kind of thing we saw with witcher 3 where they would just slowly release like small stuff that didn't really matter like witcher 3 they released several like beard packs for Geralt. Geralt, whatever. I still feel like I'm pronouncing it wrong either way. And th- this is kind of what we saw there, where it's just like an alternate appearance for a random character in the story. I think they released those for Siri, Yennefer, and Triss originally. So far, they've released one for Johnny Silverhand in this game, and then 
two jackets. And if that's not enough for you, there's also one car. <laughs> I just, I don't know. I mean, cyberpunk's a lost cause at this point. I think. I know there was a ton. I of- don't think it's a lost cause. I think they, I think they might fix it eventually. I think there were a lot of people that were just saying like, "Well, Witcher, you know, was was it had all kinds of problems when it launched. Just give this one time." But I think this one just had much, much further to go to get there. Witcher had a lot of mechanical problems when it launched, but they weren't like game breaking. Whereas this one has some like game breaking stuff, and not even necessarily game breaking as much as enough to make people not play it stuff. Enough to where it had yeah. to be removed from the online store. If you look at the patch notes for this most recent patch, I think it really says a lot about the kind of things that were missing from the original game. I'm looking through it right now. Um, one of the fixes is you can rotate your character in the inventory with your mouse. <laughs> You've been able to with controllers since the game launched, I'm what? pretty sure. But now you can with a mouse. It's You're telling me it took this is like the third major update. Yeah. <sighs> Uh, it's now possible to upgrade crafting components in bulk, whereas before you had to do each individual component individually. Hmm. There's a filter for quest items in the backpack. Landmines icons will be grayed out after disarming it, whereas before there was no difference. What is up with this game? (laughs) It's now possible to use an elevator while carrying a body. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, this, this one's kind of interesting. V will no longer look down after using fast travel. <laughs> it used to be any time you fast traveled, your character would be looking straight down when you reappeared. <laughs> uh, I feel like every time I hear more about this game, the less I want to play it. I will play it eventually, I'm sure. I'll play it by the year 2077. I'm still waiting for people to be like, it's fixed. <laughs> I don't think that'll ever actually happen. Yeah, it's never going to be that. It's never going to be that obvious. I I think at this point I might just... I'll give it another try whenever, like, a a Game of the Year edition type thing comes out with all the DLC. Whatever that is. Could several years down the line, most likely. That's what it took for me to finally give Witcher, like, an honest try. I still never finished it, but I did put, like... 30 hours into it as compared to like the 5 to 10 I had given up on it in every other time. Well, it's been a busy week, but I think it's time to pull the plug. Jackson, what's something that you've been into this week? You know that game Avengers? Never heard of it. Got a DLC and some patch notes. You know what that means? It's still not very good. <laughs> nice, uh, nice. I mean, I will say the combat, which does get pretty old fast. Uh, it's nice whenever you pick up a new character for the first time. And I never played the Kate Bishop or Hawkeye DLC, so I get to try them and Black Panther out. Um, yeah, that's really it. I haven't played much of it. Um, How is Black Panther? He, he controls pretty well. Uh, it's like a mix between Captain America and Black Widow. Very agile, but still hard-hitting. Um, Does he have a double jump? No. He does have wall running. Ah. It's it's weird he doesn't have a double jump. 
I was about to say, that's it, fellas. Captain America's dead. <laughs> but... Because Cap- Captain America had that weird issue where... It, not an issue, it was intentional. Where he was the most fun character to fight and move around with, but he couldn't interact with anything in the environment. Yep. Like the computers or the whatever else it was. It's still yep. so weird. Like, yeah. Can Black Panther at least interact with stuff? Uh, I would I hope he could hack and I, stuff. I don't think I ever got to any point where I needed to work with any of that. I didn't play much of it before realizing I'd never played the first two DLCs. That's because at a random point after like the second mission of the Black Panther one, they say something about previous DLCs. And I'm like, you know what? I should play those. Here's the thing, though. If you liked the original campaign for Avengers, this is free content. So if you want to try it out, try it out. The in-game stuff, still not great. It's still bad, and it probably will be for a while. But you can now uh, dismantle multiple items at once, so I guess that's something. <laughs> Did the game crash for you at all? No. Last time I tried playing it, it crashed. I've heard that yeah, bug fixes. At least fixes. like three or four times. I have heard that bug fixes have been pretty good. A lot of those have been fixed. But a lot of the like the bare bones of the game is still just what's wrong with it. So if you don't like those, it's not really a game for you. I don't like those, so I'm just playing the story DLCs, and then I'm going to delete it. Jackson, but, you love repetitive, grindy, gear-based I games. I love Destiny, and that's <laughs> it. I only played Avengers for like the first week of it being out. But anyways, Jason, what have you been doing? You know, if I'm honest, not too much. Uh, I played through Psychonauts, and I went ahead and played the VR Psychonauts like spinoff thing that's supposed to bridge the original game and the sequel, and it, it's fine. <laughs> it was kind of fun getting all of my VR stuff out again, because I haven't used it in, I would say, over a year. Maybe longer than that. And that was a lot of... I mean, those things are expensive. So just having it and like just having it sitting around for so long felt like a huge waste. So it's kind of cool to be able to use it again. And I did have fun with the game. It was just a, a little too short. That said, if you're going to play the second game, you should probably at least watch all the cutscenes from it if you don't have access to VR. And if you do have access to VR, it's only like two hours long. So, you know. I would just play through it. I paid two dollars for it on Steam. Nice. <laughs> Jordan, what 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 you been up to? Well, I'm probably the first person you're gonna hear talk about this, especially on the internet. But there's this little show called Ted Lasso, and it's real good, y'all. <laughs> I uh, I've watched several episodes over the last couple of days. It's the hardest I've laughed at a new show in a very very long time. Um, it's an incredibly, incredibly goofy, but still like intriguing and really gripping show. And I just, I really love all of the characters, even the ones that are intentionally set up to be like the quote unquote bad guys are still really great characters. There are some genuinely very funny moments. There's a lot of, there's a lot of sort of caricatures of the relationship between, uh, U.S. and the U.K., which I think is very, very funny, and and most of the time pulled off really well. Uh, I've never really loved Jason Sudeikis in like movies and shows and stuff before. Like he was great on SNL, but I haven't necessarily cared for him in any particular movies or anything. But he is very, very good in this, 
and uh yeah it's just it's cool to have a show where like the the conflict of the show arises from the fact that he is just too nice and too good of a person and it's always like the solution is always just that and being nice and good is still good even if thing bad things happen i don't know it's just a very it's a very cool show it's very funny very wholesome very uplifting a lot of profanity so even though like otherwise it seems like a family show it's still not but but uh yeah it's it's a real good show i highly recommend it Jason Sudeikis is one of those guys that I always really enjoy when I see him, like, doing a bit part. But I never really seek him yeah. out. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> the only reason I even decided to watch this show now is because I've, <laughs> I have got a year free of Apple TV, like, almost exactly a year ago. And I was, like, looking at the settings on my phone, and then it was like, hey, your subscription runs out on this in, like, 21 days or something like that. So it was like... Well, maybe I should actually see what's on there. Then I saw, oh, wait, Ted Lasso. People talk about that on Twitter a lot. <laughs> so I, I gave it a shot. Yeah, it's, it's real, real good. Highly recommend it. I don't know also, if it's enough that I'll keep Apple TV, but at least I'll finish up this show. Well, hey, you get six months of PlayStation Plus, and I'm going to use that to watch Mythic Quest at some point. Mythic Quest? You don't even like It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Actually, I do. <laughs> I watched the first. What? I watched like the first half of whatever is currently on Hulu, and then for some reason I stopped watching it, but I don't remember why. It's because they talk about sex, and Jackson's a child. I'm actually the police, and you're under arrest for watching the show. Oh no! Have fun. You're going to prison. Well, folks, that just about does it for another episode of the Totally Biased Media Podcast. Jackson sends his regards from prison. If you would like to reach us, you can send us a tweet. Wait, no, that's not right. That's not how you say that. You can tweet at us on Twitter at total. Uh, dang it, I am messing this up so bad. At TBMcast on Twitter, at Totally Biased Media on Instagram, twitch.tv slash Totally Biased Media is where we will probably tweet twit, Twitch again at some point. We don't know when yet. Uh, you can also send us an email with your reviews or your takes on the show or suggestions for things we could do better or differently or not at all. <laughs> uh, you can send that to totallybiasedmedia at gmail.com. Please reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you. I promise we will get back to you unless you're listening to this like 10 years in the future when the show is either canceled or we have been just escalated up to the point of superstars that uh, podcasts have previously not uh, been ready for. So like... We're just too busy and can't get back to you. But in the normal circumstances, we will get back to you. If we ever do become that famous, I will read the emails. I just won't respond to them. It's true. It's true. But anyways, I'm Jordan Walkup. I'm Jason Simmons. And I'm incarcerated, and it's not all right. And you, and you just felt the bias. Thank you, everybody. Goodbye. It's alright.